Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 114. I'm Matt. And I'm Jeff. Oh, I don't know why we were laughing about that earlier. Anyway, um, last week it was Lost Cast 113 game conferences. Thanks a lot to Warspawn and many others on the blog for a bunch of feedback. Sorry about the lack of show notes. Uh, basically, I knew something was going to fall through the cracks when I'm, I was trying this, you know, juggling Mac and Windows shenanigans. And uh, basically what happened was I, I had all these great show notes, uh, very complete. I was I was being diligent, and they were on my Windows computer, and then went to GDC, and they stayed on my Windows computer, and I had to, um, you know, edit and publish the podcast on my Mac, so sorry about that. Those were all lost, but I did recover um, some of them, like uh, the chalk on slot. It's really fun. Your, uh, your now wife, slot. Melissa, made um, some chocolates and uh, some candies for Onslaught and our, uh, our demo at CAC, so it was pretty cool. Guess who ate all that chocolate? It was that one family that showed up and took most of it. No. And we're like, we don't want to be rude, but we're like, please, <laughs> please don't take it all. I meant the chalk onslaught thing. Who ate all that? It was you, right? Yeah, pretty much. I, I was either going to guess you or your cat, probably Loki. Yeah, Loki does love <laughs> chocolate and cheesecake. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, thanks a lot for listening. I actually did a log cast report recently, which is where I, you know, kind of look at the numbers and the stats. We're rapidly approaching 2,000 unique listeners. That's so cool. It feels great. So, thanks a lot for your ears. And uh, we can tell that uh, some of you are telling your friends about it, and we really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, um, regarding notes, especially if you're going to do cross-platform stuff, you should really uh, put your notes in the cloud. Hey, don't tell me how to work. The cloud, Matt yeah it's true it's though magic. i i mean it lives in the cloud once i you know push it to get we've got our right. once i but if if blue moon something something <laughs> shut it, it 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 gets to the cloud but you're right like i should be editing it like you know real time in the cloud right i uh i think you should either do it in asana because mm-hmm. that's just cloud by nature or um i really like google keep for notes what is google keep Google Keep is basically uh, kind of like an extension of Drive. Hmm. I think it stores the data in Google Drive, but it's basically just like a little sticky notes program on the web. Oh, when are and they going to shut that down? <laughs> Have they probably, planned it yet? Probably as soon as you start using it. <laughs> hey, Jeff, Google Keep, good recommendation, man. It's so... Oh, just got an email. They just deleted all my data. They're killing it. No. Yes. We'll see. I don't know. It makes a lot of sense, actually. I should use uh, Asana because I've already got the Asana ticket open for the podcast, so yeah. problem well, the solved. Thing, the nice thing about Keep is that it's um, you can use it on the web and you can use it on like Android and iOS and all that other stuff. They have apps for it, and it's like it's very simple. You know, Asana is a little heavyweight for just notes or like a simple to do list. Kinda, yeah. Um, but Google Keep is really great. Like, so I do like my shopping list on Google Keep, and then it syncs to my phone. So I like to you know, type it up on my laptop or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. And then uh, you just bring it up on your phone. Cross-platform mm. cloud for the win. Indeed. Anyways, I just wanted to, to mention that. Yeah, I'd like to do a whole podcast sometime about just productivity. You know, not just, you know, product, project management and that kind of stuff. It's pretty obvious. But also just how to how to work faster, how to make your day, uh, you know, just more compact and, uh, and dense with, you know, getting things done and all that. Someday. What makes you think you're qualified to talk about that? You asked me this earlier. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I should have had enough time by now to come up with a good retort. <laughs> you should have. Because uh, we were just talking about how it's March. It's March 10th, 2015. And what in the world have we gotten done this year so far? I seriously uh, wanted us to have like a game shipped by now. Three months. That was the... <laughs> That was in my head, like, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if it was possible? You know, like an ideal sing-songy, like angels flying around. Like, no, that, that didn't happen, and we're nowhere nowhere near that. Things never really work out the way we want them or think that they're uh, going to. But I want it to. <laughs> Why? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, we're terrible at everything. That must be it. That must be it. Yeah, really no other explanation. So, uh, today we are going to talk about some pretty big news in the gaming industry in general, uh, especially regarding Unity, Unreal, Source. It's basically just a really good time to be a game developer. Has there ever been a better time to make games? Seriously. No. An easier time to get into it? I, I, from any stage, you know, like it's it's great for AAA because there's all these great tools and all this great knowledge and it's great for indie because there's never been a better way to learn and get started. It's crazy. Yeah, there's all kinds of great tools. Many of them are becoming free. Yeah. Um, and they're all really powerful. So that so was the, kind of the news with Unity 5 is it went... I mean, it was already free, right? But like even more stuff, for example, like we were using 4 just for a couple of weeks before 5 went free and uh, we did not have access to, say, the lighting because the lighting was uh, restricted just to people who actually want to, you know, give them money, <laughs> pay them. Right. So we didn't get to play with that, but now we can. Yeah, so the b big difference really was that there was always a free version and it was always free um, for studios that made less than $100,000 right. in the previous fiscal year. And uh, there was just a couple caveats, like you couldn't use lighting and you couldn't use a couple other features. I can't remember what they were now. Don't you feel like you should still be able to fly under that radar? Doesn't it seem like you read that, you read something like that, where it's like only for companies of significant size or something, and you're like, nah, never going to be me, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we are. That does hit us. Unfortunately, That yes. doesn't feel quite right. No. Like, huh? <laughs> I think we should get free stuff, too. <laughs> Check those numbers. <laughs> we shouldn't have to pay for things. <laughs> we should still be in the kiddie pool. <laughs> we want the free stuff. Uh, yeah. So, that's a really interesting uh, development. Um, otherwise, the pricing model really hasn't changed. It, it's really just the free version um, became... Oh, also, uh, I, I don't think that the Android and iOS packages are separate anymore. Those come with... So, that's for free as well? You can ship on those platforms for free? I think so. Because that used to be separate, and I think... It, and it doesn't matter anymore, but I think that was it used to be like, you know, you have to pay even more, right? It wasn't included with just a standard pro package. Yeah, it was really pretty i mean it's not that expensive all things considered but it was another 1500 bucks for android and ios each yeah that kind of money is enough to make like an indie kind of like pause and it's enough to for a hobbyist it's like a gut punch <laughs> oh okay i can't afford that right yeah well it's the difference between you know if you're working on desktop and you wanted to use unity pro it was going to cost you 1500 bucks right and if you were uh, wanting to target mobile and you probably want to target android and ios and you want to have a unity pro it probably cost you forty five hundred dollars right Ooh. so yeah, it's a pretty big difference but i don't think that's the case anymore i think it's just 1500 for pro and even with the personal you can ship on android and ios yeah and to kind of uh give everyone perspective for what that means for a triple a studio is it's it's like nothing it's like a drop in the bucket um i remember i forget which company it was at and this, to be fair this was web development or maybe it was it might have been anyway <laughs> some kind of general tech job for engineering and programming uh, up in the valley uh, northern california 
just to hire someone cost that company thirty thousand dollars. Oh, That's yeah. to get that person sitting in a chair and now agreed agreeing to work here. That's not even the salary and the overhead and. Uh, I mean, I guess that doesn't include part of the overhead, but that's, you know, the kind of the recruiting process, right? So like a $1,500 license for someone to use software is just like, don't care. 500 bucks for Photoshop or whatever, don't care. Just like, you know, $3,000 MacBook, doesn't matter. Just buy this person what they need to make us more money, right? Right. Yeah, return on investment. Yes. Basically, we've already sunk, you know, forty dollars to $50,000 into them. Yes. (laughs) What's another five grand? Yeah, like signing bonuses and uh, referrals are pretty common. Like someone else will, uh, you know, suggest that person. Or for bonuses, and like it's common to pay a recruiter in the tech space twenty to thirty k ahead. Yeah, anyway, exactly. so like you're already spending almost twenty thirty k just on the recruiter. Not to mention your own HR, getting them spun up on your healthcare, right? Stock options, signing bonus, all the time people spent interviewing them. Yeah. Really adds up, yeah. Um, and if you're Epic Mega Games, you don't even you don't even have to worry about the Unity licenses because you're giving out Unreal licenses. <laughs> Use our <laughs> software. Eat the dog food. So uh, speaking of that, that was pretty big news because up until the GDC announcement, Unreal Engine Four, I believe, was 19.99 per month, which also includes their five percent of gross, which I think is are we ready for it? Is it gross? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Give myself a high five right there. Yes. Actually, you yeah, you set it up. I set it up, you knocked it down. That's right. <laughs> Good job, Lost Cast. I should get the high five. <laughs> you made every one of your audience members sigh. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> Maybe it was a groan. Anyway, uh, you actually played with this one, right? Downloaded it and kicked it around? I did. Uh, I didn't give it too much of a you know, deep dive, but I tried it out. Um, my initial impression was that it is a little more complicated than Unity. Yep. So, I mean, I, that's you know a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. My initial impression is that Unreal Engine is maybe a bit more powerful. And uh, if you're developing AAA or near AAA type games, it's probably a really good choice. Right. I think that like the 3D stuff is better, perhaps, and lighting and, and the rigging and, and some of that stuff appears to be better. I, you know, this is kind of tagger hattery because I haven't <laughs> really, you know, spent a lot of time and I, and I don't know that end of development very well. You know, like everything's the, a little tiger hattery, right? At least a little, <laughs> at we least barely, a little. like we at least, what was it? 3% of the universe that we think we, we see. Yes. It's all tiger true. hattery. Yeah. We should go into like astronomy or something. Ooh, I make a game about astronomy. It'd be oh. really easy to make the graphics, right? <laughs> draw some circles some pixels and you draw like a little fog ship it that's our next game done three months <laughs> start to finish tiger hats in space yeah <laughs> i'd play that yeah anywho unreal everybody yes uh anyway so you know i just spent a whole lot of time with it um i did notice they have a really nice set of examples right, right which is kind of cool and they also have this blueprint system which they claim you can create a game without any kind of like c scripting like you oh, just is that kinda, the drag and drop functionality? Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, a few months ago, they had this campaign where they were like, you can make Flappy Bird in Unreal Engine 4 <laughs> with no code. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. I remember uh, their marketing campaign was really just like, eh, Flappy Bird, that's that's what it was, right? 
And it was interesting because uh, someone tweeted or something. It was like a, a comparison of here was Unreal Engine 3's marketing campaign and here's Unreal Engine 4's marketing campaign. And one of them was like, look at these awesome AAA graphics dripping with diffused lighting and layers and, you know, just post effects and all this craziness. <laughs> it looked great, right? And then you have the next one. It's like, look at this derpy bird flapping <laughs> around. The, the, the bird, like just a huge dip in the... You know the the graphic intensity and the you know quality to a certain extent, and definitely the intended uh, market, right? Yes. Uh, well, it, it kind of speaks to the shift in how tools are targeting game developers. You know, yeah. Because of you know probably like ever since iOS and Android, those markets being huge, and and also kind of like the resurgence in indie and how tools are getting easier and publishing is getting easier. It's empowered a lot of solo and small team developers uh, to make games. And so, you know, Unity has been eating Unreal's lunch in that regard, as far as I understand. Yeah, and there were some, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know, bitchy, snarky, something just kind of like maybe, you know, nudgy. I don't know what you'd call them, but like, I remember, I think it was the uh, Unity CEO was like, yeah, it looks like uh, Unreal's uh, pricing plan wasn't working for them. So it's not surprising to see them, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what exactly the wording was, but not surprising to see them kind of make decisions based on what Unity is doing, right? And I think that's a, that's that's evident, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at that particular space, kind of small developers, Unity is probably the best, or at least the most popular choice. Yeah. I won't say best, but um, it's a very popular choice, and so you know they kind of have to react to that, right? Because the AAA market is going to be smaller, right? Than you know. Uh, the kind of larger developer, small developer market. That's interesting. Um, I, I don't know if, I mean, because if, if you think about a really big company like like Epic or like EA or, you know, Disney's hundreds of companies they own, the AAA companies do have hundreds of employees, maybe thousands, you know, at certain largest, like Activision, Blizzard, you know. Um, and to get that equivalent, like, you know, let's say to have, if you've got a, uh, even a smallish mobile startup with a hundred employees, right? You would need 50 lost decades to equal that number of employees. So I actually wonder if mo- like, if your average, your average game developer probably works in, um, like for a company, like for a bigger company, right? I'm not sure if it would be triple a these days, mobile is so giant. I think like you were saying, it could be that, uh, your average game developers on mobile, right? But I would say that triple a does make up a huge portion, if not bigger than indie. Um, maybe in like sheer numbers, but you also have to realize that they're probably not paying per seat for those licenses. I mean, they might, I don't really know, but they might have some kind of like site license where they get a discount anyway. Yeah. There's got to be some kind of like a corporate specific stuff going on there. Right. I don't know, obviously for sure, but, uh, that's kind of my guess. But, uh, my feeling is my gut feeling is that there's more money to be made. You know, the, the adage is selling pickaxes in the gold rush right right and it almost doesn't matter um that many people are shipping like low quality or just not even shipping games at all you yeah know, I, I wonder how many people buy unity license or subscribe to unity for a few months and they make some money and they just never ship a game hmm. i bet a lot yeah probably yeah yeah anyways like you know we heard at gdc there's like 500 new games on ios every day and, yes uh, I wonder how many of those new games are actually like big studio games. 
Yeah, I would like to know more about that. Um, so that was a talk by um, Mike Rose of Tiny Build. Uh, I believe that was at GDC. And I will put a link to this article in the show notes. You should definitely check it out, especially if you're interested in just the kind of general sales and, uh, you know, kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of the industry. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, something I think we should mention <clears throat> about Unreal Engine 4 is uh, that 5% of gross because that uh, also there's a caveat on it. It's uh, only if you make more than $3,000 per quarter and that's gross. So that might only be, you know, a grand in your pocket, but you would be paying um, based on gross. So like, you know, if your game makes, let's say, I don't know, $3,000, right? Just just over that threshold. And then, you know, whatever platform you're on probably takes 30%. And if you're working with a publisher, they might take 30%. Like, it's of gross, and that makes a big difference, right? right. And that 5%, um, for example, like on a Wizard's Lizard, that would really feel like a win sale to us. A win sale? Maybe not a win. What am I thinking of? You know, the kind of... The, something that slows you down, like a... You know those race cars? Like drag? Yeah, drag. What do you call it? Is it a drag sale? Like a... <laughs> We're both obviously very knowledgeable on this. I need a different <laughs> metaphor. Someone help me. I think maybe you're like taking the wind out of your sails or something is what you're looking for. Yeah, maybe. maybe I was looking for a regular expression, which my brain just cannot, can't yes. quite get a hold of. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, yes, it's like a drain. Yeah. A big drain. It kind of is. Yeah, I uh, I kind of agree. Um, we actually had a lively discussion about that on the uh, on the forums of some yeah. interesting ideas back and forth. Um. I kind of maintain, though, that the 5% is really just a bad deal um, yeah. across the board. I think that any time that you're asked to give up a, a percentage forever, you really <laughs> have to think about it because, you know, you're talking about the lifetime of your game. Right. Um, Unity's model is much more attractive in that it's like a one-time fee, assuming you don't go with the month-to-month. The month-to-month of Unity, I think, is also a bad deal. Yeah, um, it can It's $75 be. a month, and it'll only take you 20 months to reach $1,500. So if you plan on using Unity for a year and a half, basically, uh, the upfront cost is just way more efficient. Like, basically, if you plan on learning it and shipping a game of any significant size, you will definitely hit that amount of time. Oh, yeah. And all that learning you've put into it, you know, you, you've in, you're invested in it at that point anyway. You might as well just, you know, pay up, make it and yours. It, it's good to note about like the 5% would be every single thing that you ship with Unreal, right? Yeah. So if you ship 10 games with Unreal, uh, you're giving them 5% of all those sales. Right. Um, so it's just, uh, it's interesting, you know, like if Unreal was so much better than unity and maybe it is and maybe for certain cases it is you know maybe if you're developing triple yeah. a games you're like no we just can't get it done in unity um it's like it doesn't have all the tools we need so the five percent is just it's a drop of the bucket and it really makes it worth it for us right uh i don't i can't see that being possible for us <laughs> you know like i can't see that unreal for our use cases would be so much better than unity that it would justify that much more money. I completely agree, yeah. Um, it's yeah. really interesting. I, I'm seeing my brother uh, who's been in the industry for like, I don't know, maybe close to 15 years at this point. And he went to his very first GDC. And so he's been really kind of, you know, reinvigorated and interested in all this news. And, uh, you know, especially when something goes free, all of a sudden it's like, hey, you can play with this if you want. So he's like, cool. You know, he's spending some time with this stuff. And 
it's interesting because he comes from a triple a background like he's never worked on indie game and doesn't really know much about it i've probably talked about this stuff before um but he doesn't really see it hasn't previously seen a lot of value in unity because he sent me these two screenshots where it's like here's a 3d environment in unity and here it is in unreal and up until like before unity 5 it was looked pretty bad like <laughs> the difference between the two uh it was just clear unreal looked a lot better Right, but uh, with five, and you know, we're not big 3D guys, so we don't even know <laughs> what exactly they did. But probably just more options available, and you know, more rendering um, tools and all that stuff. But uh, it's starting to look um, more comparable. I, w- I wouldn't say it's still like at that level, but uh, I- I'd say for AAA people, and especially 3D uh, people making 3D games, that the Unreal so far has been like a uh, just had a lot more advantages. Yeah, um, but again, I think that kind of. Sp- speaks to like where the market is heading you know i don't think that call of duty is making out the majority of games being shipped on ios and android every day right yeah (laughs) and so for those use cases it doesn't matter that unity isn't at the same level as unreal when it comes to like the top of the line features yeah and i think that there's something to be said about the ease of use perhaps i found unity to be uh very easy to get into and i think that Unreal isn't so hard to get into, but it's definitely like IDE-wise more complicated than Unity. Yeah, and perhaps necessarily so, but yeah, it makes it a lot of is. sense. That was that was pretty expected because like what we've heard is that basically Unreal does more and it's you know more feature rich and better geared towards massive AAA games, and it's also been around longer, right? So it's probably more mature in that regard. Yeah. So Source Two coming from Valve is pretty big news too, and my understanding is that they haven't actually released anything. I think they were just kind of um, I'm going to try it. Keeping up with the Joneses? Did good job. Right? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty good. So uh, they're like, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> we were planning on <laughs> launching our engine sequel as well, and we're going to make it free, just like everyone else. But I don't think that that came with any meat, you know, like um, I don't like, think they here released. here it is. You can try it today. Yeah. They're saying that you can get access to the source code and that uh i think there is going to be a royalty agreement like licensing is what it sounds like and that's you know red flag material right there (laughs) yeah i wonder i don't really know anything about source or source 2 um is it like an ide or is it just an engine like my understanding is that it is a lot like uh, unreal engine Oh, I see. And also probably closer to the functionality. This, picture this scenario. Let's say, for example, they had a, I don't know, let's just say 10%, keep the math easy. Uh, if, if that was Valve's agreement, you know, you can use Source 2 for free, we get 10%, right? And then you launch your game on Steam, like Valve would get such a big chunk, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And then if someone else publishes it, it's like by the end you're getting, you're like, oh, I only get 10% of my own game. So sad. Yeah. That'd be an interesting scenario. I, I'm kind of interested to see... Um, about Source 2. I get the impression, too, that it's, like, more geared towards C++ programmers, kind of like uh, Unreal Engine. So it's, you know, lower level and probably more for AAA types. But, I mean, stuff coming from Valve, that's money, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting to have all these different options. Yeah, um, never been I, a better time. I do think that Unreal introduced C-sharp support. They did, I th- yep. I saw yeah. that. That's, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder um, if that specifically is is a response to Unity. You know what I mean? Or did they were they like, hey guys, we need to add another uh, another programming language? Or hey, you know, our audience has suggest, uh, you know requested C sharp the most. Or if they researched it and figured out C sharp was the best. Or if it was just oh, crap, we need to keep up with Unity, so add C sharp. You know, like which uh, which line of line of thought was it? I think it was probably a lot of 
combination of those things. Yeah. Like one is that C++ is a little bit more prohibitive when it comes to learning stuff. Yeah. Um, like managed memory languages are just easier to work with, like hands down. Yeah. There's trade-offs, obviously. I mean, you know, I'm sure that hardcore C++ers would be like, you know, there's no reason to use C Sharp, you know, you have less control and blah, blah, blah. But when you're talking about, you know, people that want to make games and don't necessarily know either and haven't ever written C++, like C Sharp is just worlds easier to get into. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, and also like the Unity thing, right? One of the reasons Unity is so popular is it's easy to use. And I think C Sharp and, and the Unity script uh, are, is a big part of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, always interesting to see what games are made with. And uh, actually, just today, Hotline Miami 2 came out, and that is, that's going to be such a mega hit. The first game was a hit. The second one's looking to be even more so, just based on like the attention it's getting so far. And uh, that one was made with Game Maker. So remember, that like, you can use anything to make games. All these great tools, it, they, it doesn't really matter too much. They're all great. Pick one, use it. And I think it's like kind of a good segue into uh, a question we got. And I think it was from Dan Nagel. Uh, he asked us about why we were kind of like leaning towards Unity and after having tried some other stuff. Right. And um, it's mostly about like ease of use and how much platform <laughs> the platform gives us. Right. So we tried a couple other things and one of the things we dug decently deep into is Monogame. And Monogame is basically just XNA. And XNA is basically just a set of... Uh, kind of runtimes um, like .NET uh, that Microsoft released for game development. Um, but as far as I know, you know, there's not a whole lot of meat there. I mean, it does a lot of things for you. Like it handles a little bit of the rendering and it handles input. I know it handles networking at some level. But uh, you don't really have like this concept of like game objects or components or, you know, whatever. I mean, there might be libraries out there that will do, you know, entity component for or mono game, but it's relatively low level uh, in the sense that, you know, it kind of like it abstracts away all the direct X and like the drawing and that kind of stuff. Like you basically just say, here's a sprite and I want to draw the sprite to this location on the screen and it handles all the batching and rendering and all that stuff. But <clears throat> aside from that, like it doesn't really give you a very strong environment for like, here's a scene, here's all these game objects, you know, here's a parent child relationship between these two objects so that when this thing rotates, that rotates and all that stuff. Yeah, all the niceties like an entity component system and a scene graph and, you know, advanced audio controls. Like, you're going to be writing a lot of that infrastructure yourself, which you might be thrilled about. So that might be a good choice. Right. <clears throat> and so when I was, like, checking out Monogame, uh, I really liked it because, you know, it, it's in C Sharp and uh, the API is really straightforward and, like, the Microsoft XNA stuff is it's pretty great um, for what it does. You know, the sprite batching stuff is really easy to use. Um, but I found myself, like, having to re-implement, you know, entity components, scene graph stuff. And, like, there's a lot of work there, yeah. honestly. Like, implementing a scene graph and having it be efficient and all that stuff. It's, like, it felt like the exact same kind of code I was writing in JavaScript. Yeah. Um, and while it was, you know, technically a higher performance ceiling than JavaScript, it really didn't do anything to solve some of the issues that I was worried about which was, you know, having to write our own low-level scene graph, you know, having to worry about, okay, how do I make this thing rotate and how do I, you know, create this transformation pipeline where if you rotate a parent, then its children are rotated 
and the opacity compositing between the parent and the child, like all these really kind of advanced topics about how a scene graph renders itself. You know, maybe I didn't spend enough time with it, but I'm pretty sure there's nothing in Monogame or XNA that handles that for you. Let me ask you this. If you had not previously written your own scene graph and your own quad tree and and done all this low-level engine stuff already, do you think that you would be more inclined to want to do it now? Maybe. Um, I really enjoyed doing it the first time. Um, But I think it kind of just speaks to where we're at with game development now is that I really am kind of past that. Yeah. I uh, I don't have any interest in writing those things anymore. You know, I mean, part of me will always be interested in like, ooh, you know, a really efficient rendering pipeline and like creating <laughs> this, you know, transformation of all these objects like that <clears throat> kind of tickles my fancy in a Nerd. lot of ways. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's so much work for such little result. You know, at the end of the day, once I've written all that code, all I have is this infrastructure that I haven't done anything with. Right. It's not a game. Uh, it's just this, you know, nice infrastructure. And sometimes it's not even that nice. Sometimes it's just the bare <laughs> minimum, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I have something that, that works and it's not too buggy, but it's not very full featured, you know? Yeah. Like we were working on gin for a long time and there was still weirdness with like parent child opacity. Yep. You know, like if you had a, a parent that was of a certain opacity and a child of a certain opacity, um, they would kind of render at different stages, and so you would get like this overlapping opacity effect, which wasn't really ideal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, like, to get you know where we wanted to be, uh, it was still a tremendous amount of work. I and- was thinking about just the other day. You showed me how to do the equivalent of what we used to call doll animations, and uh, they're kind of you know the skeletal stuff where you've got limbs separate. And back in the day, you know, astute listeners will remember that we made this thing called the doll animation tool, which I don't remember how long that took. I would say probably a week and then maybe another week of just spread out over the next several months of just support and fixing and stuff. And it was horrible to use, like the bare minimum worst tool where it was like, you know, (laughs) like I need a car that goes 10 miles per hour minimum. And like, that's all it does. (laughs) It doesn't do anything else in the world, you know? And then it explodes when you reach 11. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It was horrible to use. And like in freaking like five minutes, we had owls flapping around in Unity. And I'm like, I just feel so like, yeah. Uh, why? Why have well, we done this earlier? The thing is, is that, you know, to get to the minimum viable infrastructure level, it, it's a bunch of work. Yeah. Right. And then to get to a full featured tool or feature beyond that is even more work. Yes. And uh, and you're fixing your own bugs and you can't get the support of the programmer community like, hey, I want to do X or I'm having this problem with Y. How do I fix it? You know, like that doesn't exist for Jin, <laughs> and it wouldn't exist for any kind of custom scene graph solution in, in Monogame either because no one else is working on that, right? It's just yeah. us. And so there's a, there's a pretty big benefit to using tools that one, are mature and full featured and have a big community behind them. And I think that's kind of what's pushing us in the direction of tools like unity or perhaps unreal or things like that. Um, Yeah. Because it's just, we want to focus on making games more, you know, Uh, being a programmer, we're always going to like engine stuff just as like a curiosity or like a tinkering mentality. Right. 
Uh, but I think we both kind of realize that it doesn't really help us bring products to market faster, which is really what we want to do. Yes. And so that's kind of the primary reason that we're looking very heavily at tools like Unity and stuff is because we feel like it gives us uh, the most to work with. And obviously there are downsides. You know, there's pros and cons of choosing one platform over another. We want to ship games. And anything like mono game just doesn't compare in terms of productivity for us. Right. Right yeah, there, there's this massive list of things that you need your tools to do for you in, in order for you to be able to make games with them. And so we made a uh, this project to kind of um, figure out Unity. And so I'm just going to work quickly, go through these, just to give you an idea of like, here's all the stuff that you need to be able to do in your tools. So there's Collaborate, which is push and pull. Like I need to be able to make some changes and send them to you and you pull them in and, and you make some changes and you send them back and we're working together without... You know, oh, conflicts and the files corrupted. Just no nonsense. It needs to be easy to work together, right? Um, drawing text, yep. using a font, keyboard input, gamepad input, playing sound effects, playing sound effects uh, rapidly with like multi-shot, playing music, fading music in and out, um, saving game data, data, loading it, erasing it, packaging and distributing on Windows, obviously drawing sprites and then sprite effects like graphics effects, that kind of thing. Uh, integrate Steam API. And th- this is like, you know, there's way more advanced stuff. This is all very high level, you know. Uh, but that's like a massive list of things that you need to be able to not just like understand, uh, but you need to have that as part of your pipeline. Like, yes, it's so easy for you to throw graphics in and so easy for you to draw text to the screen and create particles and that kind of a thing, you know. And when we were messing with Monogame, I remember just importing assets was a monster. Like, it did not feel like it should be that difficult. Like, I want to use a font I want to draw a sprite to the screen. It should not be that hard to do that, you know? You know, the Mono Game is a cool project, but it's definitely a little rough around the edges because it's trying to recreate this platform that Microsoft has stopped yeah. developing. And uh, there was really some weirdness around, like, trying to get a font or trying to get sounds working. Like, you had to go through all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're working on it, but it's not right. done yet. Uh, which... That's a fair, but it's also a tool I don't really want yeah, to use. Yeah, I have to agree. And, I mean, you know, not not to say anything against it, like Bastion shipped on Monogame, is our understanding. And that game is sold, like, you know, 10 billion times more than our game. So it's 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 a really good option. If you are using it and you enjoy it, like, go with it, you know? Because really what it comes down to, can you make games with this, you know, quickly and easily? That's what matters. That's all that matters. Right. And maybe... uh different kind of workflows the xna stuff is really great i don't know um just in my experience like the amount of work i was having to do to get stuff working the way i wanted to um was just going to be an order of magnitude more work than right say unity and you start to get exhausted just thinking about it <laughs> well i spent about a week in mono game working on just a yeah, scene graph and it's like <laughs> what what do you have to show for at that point i mean it's all doable you know it's all doable but again we're really looking for ways to uh maximize our efficiency as two people Dude, making yeah games. you showed me um particle emitters are stupid easy just to drop in in unity and then i went online and i was kind of looking around for tutorials and to make fire particle emitters right this is kind of interesting actually because uh, i'm used to google and stack overflow and GitHub and random blogs and forums, things, places where texts are king on the web, you know, 
so because it's source code, you can copy paste it and that kind of thing. And actually, what ended up um, <clears throat> teaching me how to make fire particles was YouTube. I thought that was interesting, and it worked fine because it was all in the UI. There wasn't actually any code written. It was just drag this particle in, you know, drag some images, check some boxes, move some sliders, and now you've got fire. And <laughs> really interesting to see. I, I have to admit, like, there's a part of me where I'm like, oh, I feel like I should be messing with the code, and I feel like if I'm not doing that, then maybe I'm not using my skills as best I can, or just some weird tie-up. Like, there's something in my head that made it not feel quite right. But I cannot argue with those results, you know? I, I sat down and, like, half an hour later, I had, whoa, these fire particles look totally decent, you know? This is really workable. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that uh, it's a nice compromise between things that should be done visually and things that should be done in right. code. Like, particles are actually one of those things where, like, I have no... <laughs> reservations about not writing code for that. <laughs> yeah. Because they're just a visual yeah. effect by and large, right? And uh to the extent that Unity can manage that and I can just say, hey, I want to put this square here that spits out these colorful things. That's Yeah, great. and honestly, for that type of a thing that you're making, just the visual tools make more sense. They feel way more intuitive, you know? Like when I'm dragging a slider left and right and I can see this cone getting bigger or smaller, I'm just going to have more tight control over that than I am if I'm like, you know, in changing some numbers and I'm like, okay, I'll change this three to a five and then I'll save it and then I'll hit refresh. That's good, you know, and, and we've talked before about how like HTML5 has this great advantage where you can just kind of refresh stuff. And if you want to use uh, the Chrome Dev Tools, you can go in there and a lot of times you can edit the source code manually yourself. You can kind of see this real-time effect, right? But in Unity, it just works. You don't have to do any crazy shenanigans and it's like the, the, you, the, the GUI is, is amazing. And it really gets very close to that kind of like Brett Victor pine oh, sky yeah. kind of game development thing where like you have this particle emitter and you can see it in like the scene and you know you can take a slider and you can like drag like okay i want the particles to be this fast or i want them to go this direction or i want them to be this many over time and you can see those changes real time as you're changing these sliders and like you said it makes it really easy and quick to uh, adjust the properties and get the visual effect that you want even faster than, you know, type a line of code, change a three to a five, hit save, go to your browser, press refresh. Yeah, the alternative being, like, the worst case scenario is you edit some code and you hit compile, and you're waiting, you know, minutes to see your results. It's basically, like, the closer you can get to that instant real-time feedback, the tighter control you have uh, over your your output, you know? Um, and right. I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners have seen this video. It's Brett Victor's, uh, I think it's called Inventing uh, on Principle. And there's actually some software that came as the result of this talk, something called Light Table, which I believe is uh, HTML5 based because it has this kind of real-time effect. If you haven't seen this video, do check it out. I, there's not that many videos I will tell people that are, you know, 30 minutes long plus that I think that you really need to watch. But that's one of them because it really kind of shifts how you're thinking about programming. You know, because programming to you may be something very different than what it could be or what it is to some people. So um, anyway, check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I think we actually had an episode a while back where we talked about, you know, the future of tools. I kind of remember you being an advocate for, you know, I want something better. I do. Than Always. Just writing these uh, archaic symbols in a text editor. I mean, I... So actually, this weekend was a good example. I, I took my desk apart again to reposition my stinking uh, keyboard tray. 
and I bought a new monitor and you know uh, like money's pretty tight these days like these are not purchases that I make just because I feel like it I, I I distinctly make these to be more productive you know and I'm I'm constantly like I'm chomping at the bit to find something that will like you know answer my prayers make me more productive make me a better artist make me a better programmer like help me with game design anything I can possibly find that will help me be more creative and more productive I, I'm desperate to find those things just constantly I'm never satisfied with that you know so yeah i think that unity has been a pretty good thing for us so far it's probably something that we're going to continue to to use and investigate um mostly because not because it's maybe the best thing ever you know there might be other tools that are are better in in other regards but it's definitely something that we feel sort of comfortable with so far and it seems to do a lot of what we want and abstracts away a lot of the stuff we don't want to deal with. I was thinking the other day about, um, you know, like we mentioned just this list of things that you need uh, your tools to do for you in order for you to launch a game. And like, uh, I was also thinking about feature parity and say like a wizard's lizard. Like, could we remake a wizard's lizard in Unity based just on knowledge, like what we know of it, right? I would say we're like 90% there. there there's very few things that a wizard's lizard, like a, you know, a, tested pub- like published hit hit the market game you know like a, a finished game there's very little that game does that we don't understand how to do in unity already and it's only been like three weeks or something yeah i'm really impressed true. by that and i'm not saying that oh aren't we so smart we learned so fast no, it's just, just the tools man like unity's not just the the ide and the editor are really great but also there's so many tutorials the docs are really good there's there's it's so googleable Although I will say this, um, this is kind of an interesting thing. I've noticed when I'm Googling some things, it's hard to differentiate between if you want to do something in the editor or if you want to do something in your game, right? So like here's an example. Let's say you want to mute the audio. And what am I talking about? If I Google Unity mute audio, who knows? I might be talking about muting the audio inside of the IDE while I develop my game. Or I might be talking about I want to add a mute audio button to my game in the guts of the game, right? And those are two mm-hmm. very different things. And I've noticed if you, like, if the results favor one thing, it makes the other really hard to find. And uh, I'm not sure what to do about that. It might just be I need to, you know, change my keywords slightly or something. But I noticed that was kind of a, a weird situation. Whenever I Google Unity stuff, I always append 2D to my query. Oh. So, um, I mean, a lot of the stuff, because I'm Googling things that are, like, about rendering or positioning or something right. like that and uh i find that if i don't do that i get a lot of 3d stuff that is overkill or doesn't make sense in the context that i'm thinking about i would think that would help for the results to favor your output instead of the editor right like maybe you could say you know unity editor or unity ide and if you're looking for what your game is going to output you could be like unity 2d or i don't know if you're working on a 3d game you might be sol <laughs> it might just be really hard to google for stuff yeah <clears throat> um, another thing that uh, another question we got on Twitter was how are we liking Sprite Tile? Ooh. And so Sprite Tile is a um, third party package for Unity that does uh, tile map rendering. And uh, I have to say, I, I really love it. Yeah. Um, I think it's like 30 bucks on the Unity Asset Store and it was money well spent. Um, it seems to be pretty fast. Uh, it has like this very full featured tile map editor uh, that is usable within unity so basically uh, not only does it give you this kind of like external plugin that handles the sprite map stuff um, it does give you a a way to save and load levels 
right from this like it's it's almost like tiled if you can if you yep. remember that um it's almost like just this very you know it's 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 more basic than tiled but it hits all the right spots for a tile editor yeah. i think um i think you can also convert tiled maps into its format as well but don't quote me I on that i believe it said that in the you know kind of the cell sheet yeah um and it's also like completely programmable like you can load a level and then you can tweak it in code you can create a level completely in code um it does a little bit of advanced stuff like you can have like a random tile brush where you know you say like oh, i want to paint this area with these tiles and i want it to pick from this random pool or it does animated tiles and uh, it does things like kind of like uh, smart terrain edging in the Ooh. editor so you can set it up to say like you know here's this block of tree tiles and like here's what it looks like when the tree is in the you know the upper left is the edge and the upper right is the edge and so on and so yeah. forth uh, and then you can paint your tiles that way and it'll it'll know how to do it you know i think that's something that my brother was saying as he was playing with these two different tools is um he was saying that i think unreal comes with more out of the box whereas with unity at least if you're doing kind of more triple a you know leaning, leaning that direction with stuff um you would need to buy more stuff from the market so like you know, oh, you know, Unity's editor doesn't have this thing that Unreal's does, but it's not a big deal because you can just go buy it for ten bucks. But that kind of thing can add up. You know, like you spend fifty bucks here, ten bucks there, two hundred bucks there, and you've got your feature set with all these rich tools. But I don't know. There's some overhead there. Obviously, the cash cost, and then also like, <laughs> can you imagine opening Unity editor? Uh, new new version of Unity is available. Like, okay, and then like three of your different tools all want to update as well or something. Like, I don't. Or they just, they aren't updated, they're broken. Oh, they break with the new version. I could see that happening, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, how do you evaluate which tools are the best? I mean, true. I like Sprite Tile, but there are a ton of other ones. And I had to kind of wade through uh, all these various highly rated tools, but they were kind of targeting Unity 2D when it didn't have the core level support, oh, you know? Yeah. Like, you've always been able to do 2D in Unity, Um previously just by you know faking yeah. it and there was a lot of 2d frameworks for unity that were like completely 3d based they didn't take advantage of the new inherent 2d modes in right. unity and so i wanted something that would take advantage of that you know because i didn't want to kind of live in the past and use one of these older frameworks that was kind of based on a previous version of interesting. unity interesting yeah so you have to kind of like there's a lot of decision making and, and evaluation that comes into working with these third-party tools. There's a lot of cost there, dude. If, let's say you're new to game development, you know, like, oh, I just found Lost Cast and, you know, I'm motivated. I want to make some games, you know. Um, that's going to be overwhelming. It's it's never been a better time. There's more tools available to you and blah, blah, blah. But, like, just picture Unity and Unreal and sources around the corner and game makers ready to go and I've heard about Construct or, you know, I'm re I really want to be a programmer. I like writing code. So maybe Phaser or something more low-level. Like, really exhausting you know overwhelming so many decisions i can't i mean i think construct 2 is an interesting thing but i can't get behind anything that uses node webkit right they're now. actually working on uh, construct 3 as well i saw oh interesting yeah. i think that that's kind of one of my big complaints about our previous stack you know there's a lot of things you could do to change our stack yeah. right you know we, we had talked about how we don't want to uh, we want better tools and we want to not have to work on the rendering and stuff. And, you know, some people might say, well, yeah, you could still do web stuff, just use Construct 2. And it's got like a great editor and you don't have to worry about like the bare bones physics right. and it's got this drag and drop type interface. And like 
that all sounds good, but then we'd still have this issue of like, okay, we need to deploy and, you know, we create this node WebKit package and we need Greenworks and we've got to figure out how to make uh, the Steam DLLs work correctly on these various, you know, platforms and stuff yeah, like that. It's too funny, man. Every time I talk to anybody and um, if they're already developers, right? Like the gamers don't care, just the general public, they don't care. But the developers, they always want to know what you use to make your games, right? And I'll tell them, uh, Wizards Lizard was made in HTML5 and they're, and they're always like, you get that kind of tilt to the head and like head scratching. Like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> how do you, how did you launch it on desktop? Did you just like, yeah. what, recompile Chrome? Like they're, they're, you can see them working out in their heads. Like what? Is, <laughs> And a big part of it is like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, I think that there there's basically two reactions we get. One is like a little bit of confusion. Yeah. And then the other reaction is like, they're really impressed. <laughs> like, oh my God, how did you how did you do this with web tech? But it's it's less like, <laughs> wow, you must be really good at engineering and more like, I can't believe you got that. It's like if you're like, yeah, I wrestled a crocodile. <laughs> You're like, I know it's possible. Like people do it. <laughs> you must be kind of crazy or dumb. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, you know, how did you get this old 1970s like crappy car to run at all? <laughs> like you use it to drive to the grocery store? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll tell them, you know, Node WebKit and then I'll correct myself. Actually, yeah, what we use is this thing called nw.js and just the eyes glaze over because <laughs> at yeah. that point it just sounds like oh some other micro framework shenanigans there's like a hundred of them too many so speaking of uh, nwjs Ooh. i actually just fixed a really nasty bug uh a long-standing bug in a wizard's lizard that had to do with mouse input in, in nwjs well that's all the time we have for this episode tune in <laughs> next week <laughs> <laughs> For the thrilling conclusion. No, I kid, I kid. I was, we were joking earlier. Yes. I told you I wasn't going to let you talk about it. Because <laughs> it right. makes you sound smart. We can't let your head get too big. <laughs> I don't think it's that smart, really. Hey, dude, but some problems are really hard to debug. You know, the ones that are your fault are are 90% plus of, of the bugs that you come across, right? When it's when it's not necessarily you're something... You're saying 90% of our bugs are my fault? <laughs> is that, is that, is that what you're saying? The general you. Not just Blair, although 90% of the bugs that I come across... Are, are from Jeff yeah. Blair, but but yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. when the problem is has nothing to do necessarily with specific things that you're doing, like when the problem is not straight in front of you, it's off in your periphery. You know what I mean? It's to your side, and it's it's hard to find. Um, those are really cool bugs. Anyway, let's hear about it. Well, yeah. So the reason this was so hard to debug was that uh, it was something that happened only in Node WebKit. So it didn't happen when you were developing it on Chrome, just in the browser, right? And what was the problem? So the, the symptom was that whenever you held down the mouse button and you moved the mouse around the screen, uh, the frame rate would just tank. Right. Like, we're talking a smooth 60 frames a second down to, like, 8. Ooh. Like, it was that bad. It was just a massive, massive frame drop. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't figure out why. And when I started profiling it, it really, there was no help. And And one of the reasons that we knew it wasn't our code specifically was that uh, when that happened and we profiled it, like 80 or 90% of the execution time was spent in the mythical program bucket. Yeah, <laughs> no help. And the program bucket, if you're familiar with a Chrome profiler, is just like, who knows what is happening in there. It's not your code. It's something else. It's <laughs> At least it's not any function that Chrome can point to in your JavaScript and say, hey, 
it's your collision function that's like creating all these objects and iterating on all these arrays. It's Chrome's you know? way of saying, I don't know. <laughs> Some, oh. Something. <laughs> that's just taking a bunch of time. Don't what, no what's idea. up with that? Yep. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> so it's like, uh, from a debugging standpoint, that's like how so hard. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was, so I kind of tried two approaches. One was I started with a wizard's lizard where I could reproduce the bug like very consistently. Yeah. And I started taking pieces away, uh, trying to figure out like, okay, if I take something away, um, am I going to get to the point where this bug doesn't happen anymore or it's not as severe or whatever? <laughs> Raga, give me your sword. You don't get any more wizard. Give me that. Raga's like, <laughs> no more particles. I'm left with nothing. And the performance is still a problem. Yes, pretty much it was. Uh, I, I got to the point where I like, there was no sound, there were no enemies. I was in a like screen sized room with nothing going on, yep. and I could still reproduce the problem with a smooth sixty frames tanking to like eight eight frames a second. And so, I was also trying the other direction, which was I was building a very simple Node WebKit, web, or sorry, NWJS app <laughs> right. um, from scratch, not using Gen, not using anything, and trying to reproduce the problem, and I couldn't. You know, and I was adding things like, okay, I've got mouse events hooked. I've got drag and drop events hooked. I've got drawing a thing at the mouse location. Uh, you know, I'm like doing all the little things that I think a wizard lizard would be doing, trying to reproduce this issue. Uh, and I couldn't. And so I was kind of working from both directions, like kind of building up this from scratch test case and also breaking down a wizard lizard piece by piece, trying to get to hopefully some point in the middle where <laughs> I would identify what the heck was causing the you're problem. You're like, you're, you're, you got your two hands and you're closing in on the problem and eventually you're going to grab right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember what caused me to try this, but essentially what the problem ended up being uh, is that Node WebKit, uh, for some reason, chokes when you have uh, a large script node with a whole bunch of JavaScript inlined in the dom yeah i remember we were talking that it, it might be some kind of don dom shenanigans something happening with the dom right. because we had isolated certain problems with the, you know the little test case you'd made and then a wizard lizard was you know turning up negative for some other tests and so we were like i, I don't know it doesn't seem like it would be anything the code is doing it just seems like some kind of dom shenanigans you know and that comes from like yeah. our ie6 and web developer days of just like oh that makes no sense but let's just you know do the css in a different way and it won't be an issue anymore that's basically it, right? Like it came down to the only culprit left was that there was some kind of low-level mouse events related to the DOM somehow. Like I didn't really exactly know what was happening. <laughs> don't but, know, don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it was something but, uh, like every time the mouse would go down, uh, for Node WebKit specifically would look at the DOM and go through this giant script node and just kind of dig through basically all these bytes of, you know, it wasn't even doing anything with the code probably. It was just dealing with all this mass of data and being like, uh, I don't know, do you guys care about this mouse event? And probably not, right? Yeah, I don't, I have no <laughs> idea why it was such a problem, but the solution was literally just moving this inline script tag to an external file you know so instead of saying script bleh, <laughs> it was you know script source equals game.js and then that huge inline javascript is just in an external file script tag one year and a half of work and script <laughs> right, tag yeah. like that's what was in there <laughs> yes 
Uh, and that's probably, I mean, you know, in a different context, if we had been developing for the web, I think that we wouldn't have gone that route, obviously, no. because like inlining that much JavaScript is not a, a great decision. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting to see how much uh, of an impact that had. So the takeaway is if you're developing a node uh, and WJS application, uh, don't embed a whole bunch of JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> External Just, files uh, are your friend. Yeah, external file. There you go. Yeah, I, I think it's a reminder that our current tech stack does a whole lot of stuff that we don't need or know about <laughs> or want, right? Right. And a lot of it's like, it's just so crufty, you know? Yeah. A lot of it's like, why do we have to have this big inline chunk of JavaScript? And it's like, well, because we don't really have a great module system. We don't really have a good way of like managing dependencies. And honestly, what we could have done with the wizard's lizard, maybe we should have done this from the start, but our kind of web developer paths got in the way is that we could have just shipped, um, a wizard's lizard with like required JS, uh, pulling in modules asynchronously instead of packaging it all up into one huge monolithic JavaScript. Yeah. We had a, a lot of different methods we'd tried for basically dependencies. And I don't know. That's another one of those problems. I, I don't want to worry about it. I think that I like it more when it's part of the language, I have to say. Now that I've had, you know, more intimate experience with, with both <laughs> ways of going about it, I don't want to have to worry about that. The language should just do it. Yeah. And uh, C Sharp has a really great, you know, module syntax. It's just, you know, using this namespace and you can reference like system.collections.generic or you can alias stuff like using random equals unity dot random or whatever. Right, yeah. But I think this podcast has been uh, evidence that we're very interested in Unity. There's a lot of great tools out there. And uh, we're still talking about HTML5 and JavaScript. And that's going to go on for a long time, you know, because a wizard's lizard is like, it's our product right now. It's the thing that we can sell. It's the thing that pays our bills at the moment. Um, it's a it's a IP. It's a, it's a franchise we want to build out. It's, it's a lot of things for us. And so that's not going to stop. We're always going to have a website. Like, we're still going to be talking about HTML5 and JavaScript and stuff, but um, we are looking at other directions. Um, I think the the primary thing is basically uh, what we've been talking about for a while now, which is that we want to discuss kind of more agnostic things in general. You know, like this is a problem that you're going to have with your game no matter what you're using. This will apply to HTML5 game developers. This will apply to Unity developers and Unreal developers and people coding C++ from scratch. Like this is something uh, we should all talk about. And like, uh, there's so many hard problems to solve still, you know, like yeah. dungeon generation and combat mechanics and just design issues. And like, there's all kinds of really fun problems you can get into um, that don't have anything to do with drawing sprites to the screen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And hey, if you're at that point where you're just really fascinated with drawing sprites to the screen and you're having a ball doing it, that's awesome, man. We, we were there. Just do it. I remember, Jeff, we would read these... Um, Windows programming, computer books, and uh, it would it would literally be like a chapter about the most efficient way to draw a single pixel to the buffer. Like, yes. and I like you'd spend a lot of time on just that. And these days, even the like the really low level ones and the particular ones, like they don't. It doesn't seem like they focus on that stuff as much. Like you can even breeze past that. There's always an ocean of things to get lost in. You know, it's just a matter yeah. of finding I think where you want to be. Exactly. Again, and for us, that place is games moving towards making products and less about uh our own edification yeah. when it comes to programming yeah. i think for a long time it's like game development 
working on games. That was good enough for a long time. These days, it's shipping games. I want to ship, right? And more specifically, like, I want to address some of our failings with design. Like, I think that, you know, obviously, there's basically two big complaints with AWL1. One is that the performance kind of sucks on certain machines. And, like, that's just a hard problem. We spent a lot of time trying to get the performance up to snuff. And, you know, this mouse thing actually helps quite a bit with certain people who use the mouse. And and that's great. But um, the performance in, in NWJS and just JavaScript in general is just a constant battle. And that could be solved things like WebGL or whatever. But right. uh, as we mentioned on a previous podcast and talking about the Greenheart game switch as well, um, we want to spend less time on the tech, not more. Exactly, yes. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is that, you know, the game design uh, lacks in certain ways, you know. I'm not saying it's the worst game ever, but there's some pretty glaring holes in our, in our design uh, for the game. And that's really where I want to focus our attention and get better. Yeah. Uh, is getting our game design chops up to snuff. Yeah. So I kind of want to close this podcast out with um, a thought I think we've both been kind of having recently. Um, so it comes along the lines of like, you know, we've, we've had Deprecast before, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> we make fun of each other a lot. We put each other down and stuff. And um, that's fine. That's fun once in a while and stuff. But like, I think in general, what we what we want to kind of instill in, in the podcast and kind of like, you know, for the future, what we want, what we want to move towards is very optimistic and very positive and very like you know, appreciative of time spent on things and just an attitude of like, you can do it. You know, like these things take forever. You might feel like it's going to take you years and you might feel overwhelmed and hopeless, but like just the idea that anybody can be creative, anybody can make games, anybody can just be creative and put things out there and that people should promote that, you know, and respect that and, and try to appreciate it and uh, encourage people. Like that's, that's the key of it, right? And that's one of the things the podcast has kind of always been about just encouragement and, uh, and, and making games and telling, telling people they can do it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, we found that it helps quite a bit just to have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of and just hearing about yeah. <laughs> trials and tribulations uh, and like the things that you get excited about, like oh, excited about this new tool, excited about this, method of rendering they're excited about this uh generation algorithm whatever it is you know it kind of keeps that spark uh going yeah exactly and i forget if we talked about this just you and me or if we mentioned this on the podcast but there's like uh, we like to put not necessarily labels on things but we like to have things you can say that kind of encompass an idea you know rather than having to explain everything each time with a whole sentence or a whole paragraph to get your idea across you can just say one thing and it was something along the lines of like um cautious confidence or something where it was like you know you never want to be arrogant because that doesn't do anybody any good you're just going to trip over yourself and look like a big idiot in the process but it's okay to be confident even if you know that you're going to fail and that's kind of where the cautious thing comes in you know because like i'm going to come in i'm going to do the best that i can i've got confidence that i can do it and even if i don't i'm going to come away stronger i'm going to learn something you know i think the other thing especially for us recently uh that's kind of been hammered home is that uh, you can't cling too much to the ways that you've done things. Like, right. I know that we on previous podcasts have talked about like why it's so good that we're using JavaScript and all the great advantages <laughs> it has. And like, I don't think that those things are untrue or that they're wrong. Right. Uh, but it's kind of been this evolution about learning uh, about what we want to get out of our tech and what the best route for us particularly happens to be. You know, yeah. if you want to ship web games or if you want to ship desktop games like we do, 
Um, and I think the question, you know, it, it's just, it's about not getting so entrenched uh, in your mindset that you can't accept changes. Yeah. We, uh, we'll compare with other developers a lot and, and we'll get this sometimes where people are like, oh, you know, I think you guys are just a couple of years, you know, beyond where we're at. And we look at other developers and we're like, oh, you know, that company feels like they're only about, you know, three to five years ahead of us. You know what I mean? And it's all relative, you know, things are always changing and you might be at that point where you're having a lot of fun just playing with like a scene graph, you know, and you're learning it and, and you are learning it, you know, you're, you're coming away with great skills there. That's awesome. You know, and if you're past us, you're like, oh yeah, we settled on our engine long ago. We never worry about any of that kind of stuff. We can just crank out games. Now we focus on, you know, the intricate details of game design that you and I don't even have terms for words for it yet. You know, like they're beyond us. They're, they're salt. They're working on different problems, you know? And it's all good, man. It's all part of this great spectrum of creativity. Um, you'll remember, astute listeners from, uh, I forget which podcast it was, but we talked about a book called Creativity, Inc. And uh, that was one of the things. It was all about, like, how do you take a company like Pixar, you know, getting nominated for Oscars and making hit after hit? How do you how do you take that and make that a company that never turns into crap, you know? And that's one of the takeaways um, from one of the co-founders and uh, one of the heads of this company for, for so long now is that there is no easy answer because stuff changes, you know? Everything is always changing. Like the same answer that worked perfectly for you last year might be completely irrelevant the following year. So it's important to kind of, you know, be light on your feet. Uh, what, what are the expressions there? Think on your toes or help me out. <laughs> <laughs> think on your feet, I think. Think on your feet? For. Okay, sure. <clears throat> Let's go with that one. But uh, <laughs> be be open to change and be able to adapt quickly. That's important too. Yes, and that's something that we're learning how to do because, you know, I think that a lot of programmers and, you know, especially myself, <laughs> uh, I tend to have like, I want to do it this way <laughs> because or I want to control it myself My and giving up, uh, <laughs> giving up that control um, has been hard, but also like once it kind of gets going, it's been very liberating. Yeah. Liberating. That's good. It's like before yeah. it's always been like my way, or the highway, you know, like the, you, you want to ride it yourself. You want to rewrite that wheel. <laughs> and it reminds me of uh, old Jeff. Like when you were growing up, you, you were really into cars. Check out my new wheels, man. Chrome laced, right? <laughs> yes. I made them myself. <laughs> I don't remember ever making any wheels, but sure. Um, so that actually um, reminds me of this quote I saw. I think I found this on Reddit, but it was, um, I, I think we talked about this, but not on the podcast. It was about this um, musician. It was a drummer, right? Making music. And so I'm going to read this. Um, I thought using loops was cheating, so I programmed my own using samples. I then thought using samples was cheating, so I recorded using real drums. I then thought that uh, I then thought that programming it was cheating, so I learned to play drums for real. I then thought using bought drums was cheating, so I learned to make my own drums. I then thought using pre-made skins was cheating, so I killed a goat and skinned it. I then thought that was cheating too, so I grew my own goat from a baby goat. I also think that is cheating, but I'm not sure where to go from here. I haven't made any music lately. What with the goat farming and all. <laughs> I love that. So you've got this, you got yeah. this musician who's making music with drums and stuff and you get so low level skinning your own goat, making your own drums. And, Oh, I made these drums. You can't, you know, the, the tools I'm using, whatever, not making music anymore. You know, there are levels to your tools. Never let anyone, you know, dismiss you because like, Oh, you're just a script kitty. You're just using JavaScript or just using J make game maker or whatever doesn't matter we're all we're all using tools yeah yeah we are it's, it's very true <clears throat> it's interesting um so i didn't actually see the indie soapbox talk at gdc because i wasn't there um but i saw these slides come out and um 
Cliffsky, Cliff Harris of Positech Games gave a talk, and one of the slides that I saw on Twitter, he said, F Unity and the horse it rode in on. And I find that really interesting. I've kind of known that he's like, you know, very like low level C++ guy, like don't give away your liberty or whatever right. when it comes to your tools, but I find that mentality a little harmful. Harmful, wow. Uh, because while it may work perfectly fine for him to write everything in low-level C++ and he has these great game engines that he's been working on for years and years and years, I don't necessarily think that's the right attitude to have for making games in this era, you know? I mean, and it could be the fact that, you know, we're moving towards using tools like Unity and I'm trying to defend our our stance. Uh, but I really do believe right now, at least for us, that that will be a step backwards, right? Not using a tool and like obviously there are downsides like it's proprietary and this that and the other thing it costs money like there are always ups and downs but the downs like to me don't outweigh the pros of using and leveraging a tool that can get you to market faster yeah and i think there's a lot of value in just making things more accessible you know there's always going to be someone who thinks that it should remain pure and that you know oh these things should be hard. These things shouldn't be accessible to everyone. I've seen this actually, this uh, this mentality that really upsets me, uh, kind of in general spread over, you know, Reddit and the internet and stuff, Gama Sutra as well, where people are like, ugh, it's way too easy to make games now. Pretty soon our grandmothers are going to be making games. And I'm like, what? What are you complaining about? That sounds awesome. Like, like <laughs> someone's grandmother made this game? That's so cool. It's, it's that easy now? Like, a six-year-old made a game. Like, why is that bad, you know? And look at it from other industries, too. Like, the movie movie making has been around way, way longer than uh, video games, right? Are, like, okay, it's never been easier to make a movie. You know, you can make it on your phone. You can buy a, like, cameras are, are high quality and cheap these days. Your editing software is free. Your, your distribution platform is YouTube, where there's billions of people just wanting, desperate for that next new awesome thing to see, you know? And is that the problem now? Is it like, oh, my, like someone's grandmother has ruined you know, like the TV or film industry? <laughs> that's not how it works. Just because it's easier to do things is not a bad thing. No, and that's kind of what the crux of his argument came down to for me. You know, he was saying something like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to demonize him here or like <laughs> put him out of context necessarily. But the, the thing that, that I took away from what he was saying was that, yeah, it's like it's too easy and like people don't understand the low level stuff and like whatever. Like, but who cares? You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be someone that understands quad trees and stuff to make good games. Well, talking about those, uh, those, you know, drums and the skins on the drums, the, does right. this person also need to um, buy his or her own PC components? And at, at that case, like, do you need to be compiling your own kernel? What about your operating system? Like this person using Windows, uh, that's that's proprietary. Like how, if that's... How deep if, does that rabbit hole yeah, go? Yeah, if you're right? not low level enough, <laughs> what is low level enough? And your definition of that will be arbitrary and will be relative to you and what's what, what matters for you. You know what I mean? Someone else... And people have this mentality. You'll see these articles once in a while from these hippies who are like, I'm on Linux. <laughs> I built all this hardware myself. I recompiled the kernel. None of this software. Anyone has any rights to this. It's all GPL. It's all, you know, MIT licensed. Like no one could come in here and take my hardware or take my software or take my internet connection. That's like <laughs> all this stuff is like I own it. And um, that that's a cool way of thinking. I, I really respect that. It's like the... Um, 
uh, the very very Linux, uh, very Unix style attitude of uh, of like open computing and stuff, you know. But that there's no way people making living with games they can't afford to be that open and be that pure, you know. I think it's a uh, it's just a difference between like loving the craft and wanting to make a product, and they're both valid and they're both noble, but they both have their place, you know. Yeah. Like I remember watching a uh, <laughs> some kind of like Discovery Channel type thing about this guy who was really into like old ye old blacksmithing and he would try and recreate uh like these viking swords using techniques that only existed in that era right and like that's cool it is cool you know it's very cool but you know like someone that wanted to make swords to sell to the public wouldn't do that right yeah (laughs) i saw there was this like documentary show or something with this person they wanted to know like they found this metal this sword and and they didn't know if it was placed there or if it was actually like oh a viking sword from the 1200s or something right so they actually uh using what was available at the time right they they remade it like using a clay oven and all this stuff and they found out that yeah it was possible back then if you're a master craftsman right but like you were saying (laughs) <laughs> it's so expensive to do it and you you result with a you end up with an inferior product there's just so many reasons to not do it that way like we've just <laughs> moved on <laughs> like uh, civilization has, has moved past that we have better technology now yeah so anyways i find that attitude really interesting like someone giving a talk to people aspiring to be in the games industry and to make games for consumers i think that's kind of a, a harmful attitude that it's wrong somehow to use things that <laughs> give you a, a leg up. Yeah. And I think that also kind of plays into what you we were talking about earlier of just positivity. You know, wh- what's the point of yelling at, at this? No, I'm not saying it was yelling, but like, you know, it feels like you're shouting into the wind kind of thing. You're telling this giant audience of people listening that they shouldn't be using the tools that you know they're all using. And there might be some value in that. Maybe some of them will be interested in like, oh, you know, I actually wanted to research programming and that's why I got my cs degree or something but like most of them are there that they just want to make games and you're telling them that their tools are terrible is a very negative thing and uh i would rather just be positive you know you could instead be like look how awesome it is and that might be a harder talk to give right look how awesome it is to write all your stuff from c plus plus and scratch like really (laughs) is it (laughs) that'd be a harder sell it would be yeah it's uh it's yeah i don't know it's really interesting to me that that's kind of like the stance that some people have yeah, it reminds me of, um, I could see you someday sitting on your rockety <coughs> chair with your shotgun <laughs> in your lap. You keep moving on with your Unity 2059. We don't want none of that here. <laughs> you're not a real programmer unless you're using Unity 5. <laughs> Video games should be played with lasers. That's the way we've been doing it since Art 40. That's all I got. Yeah. <clears throat> I think a little bit of it is just like territorial curmudgeonness. Yeah, it is. You know, it's yeah. like, if you're an established indie, you certainly don't want more competition. Right. <laughs> and it's scary, right? The ease that people can make games these days is scary as someone who is entrenched, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh man, like I work really hard and I have to know all these like low level skills. And now anybody can come in without these skills and just make games that are visually appealing, just like mine. It's funny. And uh, yeah. it's scary, right? Like you, you can see where it's really easy to get defensive like oh this shouldn't be possible like it shouldn't be you haven't worked nearly as hard as i have you shouldn't right. be able to do this <laughs> but uh but that's just you know that's kind of a backwards attitude because it's just technology is going to enable more and more people to do more and more things more easily and if you cling to you know your old 
you know, if you're still plowing your field by hand as a farmer, you know, you're not going to be as efficient at farming as people that use tractors. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And like, you can complain all day about how farming is so much easier now than it used to be in like the 1800s, but like, what's the point? It's better for everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. I don't really, I'm not scared anymore of the mass of new games. You know what I mean? I used to be terrified of that. And I think a big part of it is just, we know we can find a little niche. We can carve it out. You and know? there's still places to uh, to be superior, you know? Like, you just have to kind of change your mindset. It's one of the reasons that we are trying to, like, we're not going to differentiate ourselves with technology. One, players don't care. And two, we've always existed on these, like, kind of higher-level platforms like JavaScript and the web. Yeah. You know, we're not writing C++. We don't really have this notion of, like, oh, we have complete control of our platform and we can do anything under the sun and no restrictions and stuff like that, you know? Uh and so for us, like the next mountain is game design, right? Yeah. It's like you can, the tools could be as good as you want them to be and they can do everything that your mind can think of. Uh, but if you don't have a good game design in your head and you don't create interesting story and captivating characters and fun designs and like if attacking doesn't feel good and the reward structure of your game isn't structured well enough, then like your game's not going to do that well. Exactly. And that's still a place where you can just be you know, I'm super good at this and I have lots of knowledge and my skills are put on display by having this amazing game that people love to play. And uh, it doesn't matter that there's 800 other people making less good games uh, on iOS every day. <laughs> right. Like you'll still, you know, cream will rise to the top, I, I, I believe. Yeah, in general. In general, You yeah. need to work to rise the cream. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in general, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> But I mean, like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, it still takes skill and people that are doing skilled things consistently are still going to be in the upper echelon and you don't need to cling to this, like, the kind of archaic craftsman attitude about making games in order to, you know, showcase that skill. Exactly. Hopefully that won't happen to us. Yeah, hopefully not. We'll try. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, That's all we have for this week. Don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast and uh, visit us on the forums at forum.lostdecadegames.com. Thanks for listening. We're going to play you out with Hold, please. Chip it.
Welcome to Lost Cast, episode one fourteen. I'm. (laughs) 